1: Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and uh, we've had a lot of really fun episodes breaking down the Mike Zimmer era, but folks, we need to move on. We need to move to the next head coach. Now, I'd like to go through GM candidates and things, but here's the problem is it's really hard to guess. What somebody is going to be like if they were a director of player personnel. So focusing on the coaching element uh, is is probably a little bit easier because we have histories on those guys. And to do that, joining me is John Shipley, not the Twin Cities John Shipley, but the (laughs) John Shipley who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for Jaguar Report featured at uh, SI.com. Uh, John, uh, first of all, it's great to get back with you. Uh, we haven't talked in, in some time. Let me think, when was the last time that we would have talked? Maybe maybe randomly, but what was, there must have been a Jaguars-Vikings game. Was it a preseason game?
0: I, I think it was a preseason game. And if not that, it was talking about the Ngakwe trade that ended up not mattering <laughs>
1: whatsoever. Ah, oh, the Ngakwe trade. Hey, so what did the Jaguars do with the draft pick that the Vikings gave them?
0: Yeah, they took um, Walker Little.
1: Oh, okay. So if yeah. Walker and, Little.
0: And, he, and to his credit, you know, he barely played this year because you, they're just such a weird franchise that they draft a left tackle the same year they franchised that guy. But once he did play, he legitimately looked like, you know, like a starting NFL left tackle. So, I mean, as badly as I think they do still miss Ngakwe, I think, you know, you, you can say they won that one.
1: Well, the Vikings missed Ngakwe too because they traded him away. And now he's going to be in the playoffs with the Raiders along with the kicker that the Vikings cut uh, in week two of 2018. So it's always fun to tie the tangled webs together. But I was curious of what player to watch for to eventually circle back and say, hey, remember the Ngakwe trade? Walker Little's an all-pro or what? Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> the, um, I, I've learned over the last five years of uh, how to – think like vikings fans think and uh, i'm sure that they wanted to know so any anyway well uh i'll tell you what i've been doing on the show as it pertains to the vikings coaching opening and that's why we're getting together because a uh i think your your work is great and i enjoy sure. having you on the show but b we're both looking at the same guys basically exactly. Except for Bill O'Brien.
0: You can keep that over <laughs> and, there. And, and we are the only <laughs> market that's looking at Bill O'Brien. <laughs> Classic.
1: Um, so, and maybe at the end, I want you to tell some Urban Meyer stories because I'm sure it was even crazier from the inside than it was the outside. Uh, but, uh, you know, Byron Leftwich is the guy that I have been uh, talking about Is number one on my list. That's, that doesn't mean he's the only guy. And if they don't hire him, I'm going to flip the computer over and never – talk about the team again, but uh, here I'll give you the case that I've been making for Byron Leftwich, and you tell me your reaction. He's a former Jaguar and known well down there. Uh, I think that you know, Bruce Arians picking him to run their offense with Tom Brady is impressive. And I think that his character, I know that everybody likes to share the video of him with the broken ankle getting carried by his offensive lineman, but he also wasn't that good of a quarterback and played for a bunch of teams and stuck around in the league and then immediately is put into the league as a quarterback's coach and then quickly bumped up to be an offensive coordinator. I think it just speaks to his character. And then I I think that if you're the Vikings, you want someone just like the Jaguars who knows how to handle people because it's been a little bit of a problem here and a huge problem there. So you tell me what your perspective is on Byron Leftwich.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I, I I think you really hit the nail on the head. To me, when you know you're looking at the qualifications for a head coach, I think you know obviously uh, the work he's done as a coordinator is you know right up there. But I think you have to look at you know really who they are as a leader. And I think you look at anything anybody in Tampa has said about Byron Leftwich. You know whether it's players, coaches. He, he, he just seems like he's one of the more, you know, well-respected guys who can really connect with players. And, yeah, it's not surprising considering he wasn't a player, you know, that long ago, you know, a little bit over a decade ago. He's still a young guy, and you can see he kind of sees the game like a player. But, I mean, if if you can bridge a relationship between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady and make it cohesive, to me, you have great people skills because I can't think of two more difficult guys, you know, in the NFL other than, you know, Andy Mike Zimmer, you know, like I, that's just – two personalities that it's not only hard to mesh those personalities, but their philosophies are completely different, you know, between Brady and Arians. And Leffert has been able to really marriage their philosophies, you know, completely and cohesively. And I really think that he doesn't get enough credit for Tampa Bay's offensive success. I know, you know, any team that has Tom Brady and has those weapons is going to look good. But I mean, this is a case where even Arians, you know, last year said, you know, I think, me and Brady get too much credit and Byron doesn't get enough. So I think that's one, you know, he's obviously a leader. I I, I think, you know, you look at guys like Adair uh, Bowale. you know, he played for Tampa for a year under left, which he's in Jacksonville. Now I asked him a couple of weeks ago, his thoughts on left, which, and he raved about him, you know, just, you know, how he connects with players. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, uh, after he retired, talked about how impressed he was with left, which kind of, wanting to help guys reach their incentives late in the season. He he said leftwood was like perfectly in tune with what guys need to reach. And he like straight up told guys, okay, th- you know, these are the players we're gonna run to help you get that. And McCoy said that's the first time he's ever seen a coach do that. So I I, I really think you know he's a top notch uh leader. And I the, the funny thing is a lot of people, you know, see him and Jacksonville, you know, kind of tied in this coaching search. And and for the record, just from the conversations I've had, I do think he is the favorite to be uh, the Jaguars hire right now. The the funny thing is, I, I really don't think it'd be like a nostalgic type of hire because this is a guy who only lasted a few years in Jacksonville. You know, he's considered, you know, a draft of bust in Jacksonville. And and a lot of people won't remember it because, you know, it was 2003 to 2006, but he wasn't exactly treated fairly in Jacksonville, you know, especially about a fan base. And to me, that says more about, even more about his leadership and his character that he is so willing to, you know, kind of put that aside and, you know, kind of, you know, put, you know, let bygones be bygones. And, you know, I mean, a first round pick being cut before his fourth year begins, you know, I personally would have some animosity, but it just doesn't seem like he's that kind of guy.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, to your point uh, on that, you look at somebody like Gary Kubiak, I, I think of the number of people who have a similar background, a similar demeanor, to byron leftwich and kellen moore goes for this too because both of them are backup quarterbacks and uh you know i guess gary kubiak got a little more chance to play but uh, then kellen moore uh but not not a ton and they were both backup quarterbacks they both quickly transitioned into coaching they both quickly had success transitioned into coaching And, and frank reich is this way too and i know that they melted down in the last game which what Uh, But, but Fred, they've been a a really good and competent uh, franchise with Frank Reich running them. And, you know, he he didn't trade for Carson Wentz himself.
0: I I, I, I think, like, a big thing is, too, is the fact that he is so close with Arians, the reason Byron's been able to you know to rise in the coaching ranks to rank he, the way he has, not only you know because of how how you know in tune he is with players and how good of a coach he is, he impressed Arians you know way back when he was a Steelers backup quarterback. You know that's why Arians even hired him to begin with in Arizona. You know Arians has said before that Byron's one of the smartest, if not the smartest, quarterbacks he's ever coached. So if you can impress a guy enough, you know as a backup like a Big Ben's backup who you know, never plays in the game. <laughs> if you can impress your coordinator that much where, you know, 10 years later he's like, I need this guy on my coaching staff. And I I, I just – I think that speaks volumes. And I know, you know, people look at his resume and, you know, his kind of short short time as a coach in the NFL. To me, that that's actually, I think, a positive. You know, that he's been – that Bruce Arians, you know, a guy who's as demanding as he is, has been so willing to put more and more on his plate as time has gone on. And, you know, he's been able to shoulder it.
1: Right, yeah, I think that going from a QB coach pretty quickly to the offensive coordinator for Tom Brady speaks more about him. It's kind of like uh, how quickly Sean McVay became uh, the offensive coordinator in Washington, and then got a head coaching position, and then quickly took off that offense and that organization. Uh, You're trying to look for it, not like the next McVay became sort of a meme, but like you're you're always looking for the people who have sort of these similar traits. And also, my big thing too is. What are the red flags? And I don't know that there are red flags with Byron Leftwich. Uh, I know that there were red flags with Joe Judge. I, I knew <laughs> I knew that there were one or two tiny little Urban Meyer things. I just like I you know you He's gotta red flag. <laughs> you gotta you gotta search real deep on the internet to find <laughs> one or two things that may have uh, been overlooked with the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. But I I actually think with these coaching hires, it's much more about. Looking for the red flags of the potential pitfalls, then it even is saying, "Well, this guy's better than that guy because everything we just said about Byron Leftwich also applies to Kellen Moore, which also applies outside of the player part to Nate Hackett, who has worked his way up and things like that, and it applies to Eric Bieniemy and it applies to Brian Dable." But I think that the big thing here is how does your coach meld with your quarterback? Uh, and, and, and all of these guys have done it brilliantly, I think. And that's what you want to see. And whether Kirk is going to be the quarterback or not, I tend to think not long-term. It's the same thing with Jacksonville. Like you're, you're getting Trevor Lawrence, how you meld with Trevor Lawrence, how you meld with the next quarterback that is with the Vikings. Like this, this is the game folks. It's not like, oh, well he had Rogers. Well, he had Mahomes. Well, he had whatever. like, that's the game. And if you can't if you can't work with that guy and get everything out of him, then you're probably not going to be good at your job.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like the the way I look at it is, you know, every offense coordinator Tom Brady has had, you know, you look at the list of them. Do you want to hire all those guys as head coaches? You know, like it's not, you know, you're not hiring him just because, okay he's called plays for a good, you know, Tom Brady offense. But I mean, the the way I look at it, especially when it comes to a guy like Leftwich is. You know, looking at what he did kind of before Brady, you know, I know just, you know, one year a Tampa Bay's coordinator without Brady, but I mean, Jameis Winston that year, I, you know, he he gets the memes, you know, the 30-30 memes, I made Pixie through, but when he wasn't throwing it to the other team, that was one of the most explosive passing offenses that the league has seen in the last couple of years, you know, I, I, I know, you know, they had weapons galore, but it, it, it's hard for, for me to rationalize that a guy who can get five thousand yards, thirty touchdowns out, Jameis Winston, and then can you know change the offense completely to Tom you know to Tom Brady's strengths, and then see the offense get even better. It's hard for me to think that guy, you know, doesn't know what he's doing. And that, you know, speaks to your point. You know, what can you do with the quarterback that you have? You know, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you, you know, his track record as a play caller, you know, since, you know, he doesn't call plays in Green Bay, his track record as a play caller is basically restricted to his time with E.J. Manuel and Blake Bortles. But he's the only guy in NFL history who's ever gotten confident play out of Blake Bortles. So, and, you know, he did that by, you know, really changing the offense completely to the offensive strengths. You know, they were a – run run play action offense that entire year because you know he knew what Blake Bortles could and couldn't do so I I, I think you're exactly right I, I I think the important thing is not just how much a coach can you know produce with that given quarterback but how do they look with different quarterbacks you know do they really you know mesh their offense with their you know with their guy because you know uh, I, I, guys uh, one guy you know we both covered we both have covered John DeFilippo he's a guy who that, that that was my biggest critique of him in Jacksonville you know he tried to run the Nick Foles offense regarding him and you know those are two guys who couldn't be more different
1: yeah no the John D Filippo thing um, we've sort of pointed to it with Mike Zimmer as one of the the ills of Mike Zimmer's era was the John D Filippo firing but that is not to excuse John D Filippo who it was kind of like this this is my offense here's how you're going to run it that's it Uh, and then he was one of those guys that I know every offense that's ever been created in NFL history. And, um, you know, the smartest guy in the room syndrome. Right. Well, you know, here's the thing. The the greatest chess players in the world. I have this weird uh, hobby of watching grandmasters play chess because they're so good that it freaks me out. And I just keep (laughs) watching. But one of the things is that they usually play a couple of different strategies, like a handful. Like the greatest players in the world have their five strategies that they play. They know the other ones, but they they like their what they play. And I think that the best offensive coordinators are adaptive to what the other team is doing and what their players need. But I don't think that trying to know – like Matt Nagy was like this, trying to know 5,000 plays and yeah. trying to know every single offense that's ever been played in NFL history to just like pump up yourself about – your own ego and whatever else. I I don't think that that's the way to go. And so I kind of like, even with Matt LaFleur and what they've done with Aaron Rodgers, where they took this play action, bootleg run the football and play off of it. That is used by Shanahan used by McVay. And then they've melded it with Aaron Rodgers. And I think we've even seen that in Los Angeles, or at least they tried with Stafford, but he's still Matt Stafford. He still (laughs) throws, still throws picks, baby. He's always going to do it. Take bad sacks, but They did the same thing where they, they changed their offense. It's still McVay and it's still their offense, but they tweaked it. Uh, And I think that that's what you're looking for in a head coach is we're going to have, you know, the scheme that we play that we know works. And then we're going to move parts around. So let's say you have Stefan Diggs and you just throw it to him all the time. Like that maybe would be a good idea. And, uh, but I'm interested actually, just because Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick, how you think an offense needs to be melded to him. Because with with the Vikings, I don't think that Kirk Cousins is here for the next five years. So they're going to pick their guy and who they think fits, uh, whether it's this year or next year, to a strategy. But Trevor Lawrence is a different situation here where you're expected as the coach to come in and get the most out of the number one pick.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I think, you know, you can look at some of Lawrence's you know best performances in 2021 and you know and obviously looking at numbers there weren't you know that many that were overly you know impressive just production wise but if you just look at his best games you can see you know kind of what he's best at you know his game against the Bengals on Thursday night football uh, the game in London against the Dolphins and then week 18 against the Colts and all those games they moved him out of the pocket you know they let him use his athleticism you know to create plays inside and out outside the structure lots of play action and you know they let him Test the waters. You know, the Jaguars, their biggest issue on offense was, you know, basically every guy they had who ran better than the 4'6 at one point or another had a season-ending injury. And even despite that, though, Bortle – not (laughs) sorry, Fruity and Slip. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Lawrence was able, you know, to really still test test the waters deep. You know, he kind of turned con Treadwell and, you know, another guy you know well into a deep threat by the end of the year, to the point where he had, I think, six or seven games in a row with, you know, over 50 receiving yards and at least one catch of 20 yards, which, you know, for a guy who was on the practice squad for half the year to turn him into, you know, you kind of de facto deep threat. I think that kind of says what Lawrence's strengths are. So I I think just an aggressive offense that, you know, you're not going to ask him to be Mac Jones and, you know, for everything to be. Quick game and timing and stuff like that. You know he can do all that, but if you want to get the absolute most out of him and his arm talent, I think for Lawrence you're looking at you know an offense that you know is, is similar to what Tampa Bay ran. You know, kind of with Winston. You know, that kind of okay. Let's line up. Let's throw it deep. You know, there're going to be some mistakes, but the big plays can offset it. So I, I I think just recognizing that he's not a you know traditional you know kind of drop back let me you know throw it timing routes quick game and just accept that you know he's a gunslinger you know he really is kind of a a yellow ball kind of guy you know he's 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 gonna throw it deep he's gonna make some risky throws and I think just accepting that and trying not to make him a quarterback he's not I think is really you know the way to go for any coach and you know you mentioned LaFleur and I, I I think he's actually a perfect example of what a head coach needs to do. Because I I think when you look at him in Green Bay, uh, I, I, I don't think the thing that impresses you the most is his play calling or scheme, which obviously it's super impressive. I think what impresses the most is how he's been able to marriage his philosophy with Aaron Rodgers, who is another guy who isn't the easiest guy, you know, historically to work with. And the fact that, you know, after three years, it seems like him and Roger are just, you know, perfectly in sync. Like if if you can build your offense to the point where you can keep that guy happy, a guy who seemingly is almost never happy, then I think, you know, you're doing something right. And I think that's what a head coach has to do.
1: Folks, we've got an even better offer to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, one word, you can get 15% off your purchase. That's right. At SodaStick.com, your place for Minnesota sports-inspired apparel, you can get 15% off just by using the code PURPLEINSIDER. I've told you about all the great football designs, but they've added a few more, including The Axe Is Back for Minnesota football fans. You can get that on a shirt, on a hat, and also Randy Moss is the goat the purple people eaters bud grant designs for the old school fan plus the hockey and basketball teams are both actually exciting this year and soda stick has you covered there as well go to sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com and use the code purple insider for 15% off Yeah, I totally agree with you. And also, uh, let me circle back to the Laquan Treadwell thing. That tells you exactly why it's always been my feeling to ignore all rookie quarterback results because they just lie to you. Um, I mean, Jared Goff is a good example of this where, I mean, that team in Los Angeles that he had with Jeff Fisher his first year is just a horror show. It's so bad. Right, right. Yeah, it's that it's that bad. And then, you know, the next year, yes, McVay comes there and he gets all the credit, but also so does Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, Andrew Whitworth. Like they had all this money to spend and they built around him so well. And I'm not saying that Jared Goff is some sort of great quarterback, but like you saw like his, he advanced the next year, became a much better player. They put all the things around him. And so that leads to my next question is, so of course I'm not saying it at all that, you know, Trevor Lawrence, anything, I don't know. We'll see but how attractive is this job though versus say the Vikings job? Because I've seen this debate sort of out there. Like, Hey, you want to take over the number one draft pick. Uh, I don't know your cap situation, but I'm assuming it's pretty good with a rookie quarterback. Uh, And you have some playmakers that will come back from injury, Travis Etienne, and you have uh, Marvin Jones, who is a really good player. Vikings fans know that, but you know, you also have time too. I think that, uh with vikings fans are going to expect the team to be good or at least decent right away i think with the jaguars if you win seven or eight games next year and you're just a competent football team and you look like you're on the rise then everyone's going to say look at those jaguars what a great job their coach did coach of the year
0: yeah you you win seven games in jacksonville and fans are building you a, a statue like doug peterson has in philadelphia i i i, I they're, they're just so hungry for you know, even an average football team. I think it is, you know, two franchises that, you know, on different trajectories. I think, you know, you're absolutely right. If you're hired by Minnesota, I think you're definitely going to be expected to win, you know, kind of quicker and, you know, more immediately because Minnesota isn't a team that, you know, has been, you know, a perennial loser and they just got sick of losing and fired Zimmer. You know, they fired Zimmer, you know, obviously, you know, for a lot of reasons, but also because, you know, they couldn't get over the hump from being, you know, an okay team to a really good team. And as opposed to Jacksonville, they would love to be an okay team, you know, you know, for once, you know, they they need to go from, you know, laughing stock of the NFL to average first before they can even think about after that. So I, I do think if you're a coach, you're, you know, looking at the two situations, I think both are really appealing me personally, if I'm a coach, I'm more interested in Minnesota right now simply because it, it, until Trent Balky is out of the Jaguars front office, which yeah, you know, they, they're still, you know, it, it's not a sure thing that he's going to stay. The, the tides have actually shifted, you know, away from him staying, you know, in recent days. I, I I just think if you're a coach and you just even see him in the interview room, that's that to me is a turnoff, you know, you know, for all the appealing things, you know, about Trevor Lawrence to which, uh, Trevor Lawrence is still held in high regard, you know, in, you know, coaching circles. You know, he's still a guy that coaches are really excited, you know, to work with. They and they kind of see Urban Meyer kind of, you know, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, you wasted an, an entire year of this guy. But I think if you're a coach, you see, you know, in Minnesota, you know, Kirk Cousins, obviously, for all of his flaws, you know, he's still at least the very least uh somewhat competent you know a serviceable quarterback you know he's not one of the worst quarterbacks in the league and then you know you have playmakers you know you have Dalvin Cook you have Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen you know the the, the if you put like together the 10 best players between the Vikings and the Jaguars rosters probably eight or nine of them are going to be Minnesota Vikings players you know that's just the state of the two, two, two teams so I, I would say Minnesota is probably more appealing I I honestly think Minnesota's. Arguably the most appealing job uh you know this cycle. I, I think if the Jaguars have fired Balky like they should have at the conclusion of the regular season, that that job would be up there. But for now, I think I think if you're a coach like Leftwich, who probably needs Needs a little bit of time, and you know it doesn't, and maybe could benefit from not having the highest expectations right away. I think Jacksonville might make more sense for you, and in, in that instance, in a place like Minnesota. But I think in most cases, you know, if you're a coach who, you know, like say you're a guy like Eric Bien-Aimé who's been, you know, ready to go, you know, for a few years now, I think Minnesota is the perfect job. You know, you can get in there and get going right away.
1: And I think you can decide what you want as your approach. Like, do you want to try to And I think that this would be very unpopular. But do you want to extend Cousins and then give your shot at building around him? Or do you want to play it out for a year and do the Alex Smith thing? Or do you want to just draft a quarterback and move on quickly uh, and, and try to do kind of a Mac Jones in New England where you're competitive with a rookie quarterback? It doesn't happen all the time, but it's not impossible, as they have shown if you draft someone Uh, Who is a mature quarterback right away and they could step in. And, and I also just, you know, have had trouble with this and, and I'm I'm sure get into it during draft season, which is upon us, not the rest of the league is (laughs) prepared for playoff games, but you know, the whole, well, it's not a good quarterback draft and everything else. Like, I don't know, tell the, tell that to the 2017 draft. So, um, which you I'm sure you remember well. It's like, oh, you know, this Mahomes, his footwork and like yeah. No, no, yeah,
0: no. I I, I remember ja- like, not all, but I remember a large section of Jaguars fans being happy that Houston took Deshaun Watson. And at the time I was like what, what what the hell's wrong with you guys? Like you shouldn't be happy about that.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, I I always like to follow the winding road of takes, like of opinions yeah. and sort of what you thought. What a winding road that one is. Uh, <laughs> but now I guess it's fine if you're Jacksonville. But I'm yeah.
0: Real... No, it, it ended up it ended up working out. There always. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I did a pros and cons to Bill O'Brien article the other day, and every time I typed Watson, I was, I was like, how, how do I, you know make it sound like, okay, this guy was a good quarterback without making it sound like, okay, go to Sean Watson, you know? Yeah, right, right, right.
1: Uh, you know, well, I, I think he'll eventually be back in the league, but, but that's okay. going to be very uncomfortable for however that works out. Uh, I, I did, I'm did. i glad you uh, brought up Doug Peterson because it almost slipped my mind to ask you about Doug Peterson, which you wrote about. And, and that's one that I would put myself on the fence yeah. um, because, I, you know, I think that Doug Peterson – Winning a Super Bowl is pretty hard to take away from the man when he did it with Nick Foles. Yeah, um, you know, there's also a lot of things that have to go right with Super Bowls for anybody. You've got to have Julio Jones drop a ball in the end zone. You got to have Philly special work. You know, all those different things to win that Super Bowl. But to take a young quarterback in Carson Wentz in his second year to the number one seed and then be able to have a, a roster and scheme that was strong enough to beat a really good Vikings defense beat the tar out of a a great Vikings defense and then beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Uh, I I mean, it's hard to say like, nah, I don't want that man. Right. Like give me somebody else, but it's almost like the, the quarterback backup quarterback thing. Maybe this was more back in the day where like fans always loved the backup quarterback and thought he should play. It's uh, I'll put it for younger Vikings fans. Uh, it's the right guard where you always think the backup right guard is better than the current right guard. And it's sort of that way with Peterson where you always, you're like, well, he does have flaws and it was yeah. kind of a mess at the end. Um, you know, is, is a left, which better is a Hackett going to be better because we haven't seen them yet. So when you haven't seen somebody, your impression of them is usually the best possible scenario, less than maybe the most likely or the worst.
0: Yeah, good point. I mean, if you're asking people for their opinion on Doug Peterson as a coach entering the 2020 season, you know, before Wentz, you know, looked like the worst quarterback in the NFL, it's dramatically different than, you know, probably what it is now. Just be, But because the last thing we saw from Peterson was, you know, that 4-11-1 and season where Wentz, you know, legitimately looked like the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. And I, I, I can personally say I was somebody who kind of, you know, held Wentz's performance that year against Peterson. You know, I, I – I, I, it's hard to couple it with the fact that, you know, he was the same guy who developed once enough to where he looked like an MVP caliber quarterback in 2017. And then he was able to change the offense enough to, you know, Nick Foles, who was a much different quarterback and to kind of make it work with him. But to, to me, it was, it was just hard to, you know, kind of settle with the fact that, okay, this, the last time we saw Peterson, you know, his quarterbacks and his offense looked terrible, but I, and this going to maybe sound like a bit of a galaxy brain take, I honestly think Wentz looking as bad as he did to end this past season reflects better on Doug Peterson as a coach because it tells me more that, okay, Wentz in 2020, you know, the year that got Peterson fired – maybe that was just, you know, Carson Wentz just being Carson Wentz because he just did it in Indianapolis with Frank Reich, a coach who a lot of people tried to give credit for, you know, that equal Super Bowl run too. So if he's going to do that with Frank Reich in an offense that's completely tailored to him, it's hard for me to hold it as much against Doug Peterson. And, and I do think, you know, like you said, a thing that, you know, working against Peterson is the fact that, you know, we've seen him as a head coach before and, you know, he's been fired. But, you know, he's also a guy who if you're a team who, you know, I know a lot of Fans especially have this mindset of, you know, they want proven head coaches, you know, first time head coaches are, you know, sometimes a bit risky, even though every successful coach in NFL history has been, you know, a first time head coach at one point. But I, I, I think if you want to hire a guy with experience, I think Peterson is the guy this cycle, just because, you know, his quarterback background, you know, he's been a starting quarterback, he's been a backup quarterback, he's been a practice squad quarterback, you know, he knows what it looks like, you know, from all those different perspectives You know, he he is one of the few offensive coordinators in Kansas City who called plays under, you know, Andy Reid. Normally, Reid takes those responsibilities. Peterson had them in 2015, and, you know, they they were a terrific offense. And he's called plays for a bunch of different quarterbacks, you know, from Alex Smith to Wentz to Foles to Jalen Hurts. And to me, just as somebody who had to cover Nick Foles for a cup of coffee, if you can get – serviceable play out of Nick Foles I I think you're doing something right because I I I don't think there's a bigger fool's gold at the quarterback position of this generation so I think there's a lot working against Peterson in the fact that okay he lost a power struggle so you know you have to couple it with that you know how would he really mesh with the front office and the fact that his staffing hires you know you know as he lost guys like Frank Reich as he lost Dave Filippo his staff you know he wasn't really able to Re- reload as much as, as well as you would like to see from a coach. But I think at the end of the day, if you if you want to hire a coach with experience, he's the guy that cycle, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com
1: slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I agree. And uh, all these things are difficult because when you coach for multiple years, drama is inevitable. Yeah. And so what we have to judge is like how much drama is red flag drama like, uh, you know, Adam Gase supposedly screaming at his owner, I know more football than you when he was in Miami. And then the Jets hire him. You're like, is thats that, <laughs> that going to work? Like, um, at Adam Gase, when they lost to the Vikings after the game, Mike Zimmer was like, yeah, they just didn't seem to, like, scheme or anything. <laughs> it was like, uh I don't know that I'm giving that guy a five-year contract yeah. after another coach says, it doesn't look like your team's schemed against yeah. us. i
0: so, <laughs> after uh, playing him twice a year, too. <laughs> right, right. He knows who he is.
1: Uh, d- yeah, this is the guy I'm really afraid of, and that, that kind of thing. So with Peterson, like, well, uh, okay, you lost – you did lose a power struggle. Clearly, uh, Peterson felt like his voice wasn't heard with the front office of the Eagles – um, but there's also the part of it that whoever the Vikings hire, and maybe it will be this way in Jacksonville as well, we'll see, will also be hiring the general manager and pairing them together from the very start, which, which I think kind of just has to happen a lot of the time where yeah. these, the Brandon Bean and the Sean McDermott are just two peas in the pod. They're making all the decisions and they've got their quarterback and that's how they're going forward. And everybody else can be replaced. But these three, they're the ones that are sort of the triumvirate here. Yeah. With, with Zimmer, Spielman, and Cousins, we had, I mean, three kids who couldn't be in the same room together at the end, and that, that, you just you just can't have that. Uh, yeah, you, wa- need,
0: you need alignment.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to ask you about the Urban Meyer thing um, because now I, also you and I have something in common. We both covered Doug Marone as well. Yeah. Um, so actually let's talk about that before we get to the Urban Meyer thing. Doug Marone was hilarious in Buffalo because he came in like a college coach, even though he had been an NFL offensive coordinator before. And, but he came in sort of like a college coach with like very rah rah Buffalo. Yeah. Great to be here. His press conferences were super energetic, which is probably making you go like what, but you know, he he has these weird press conferences and then he didn't win right away as one does. And, And all of a sudden it just turned. So then he wouldn't answer any questions for years A- and uh, people in the organization got upset with him. And uh, it was similar to the Zimmer stuff where the uh, culture wasn't very good. And he was being mean to the entertainment side of the team and things like that. It was just, it got to be completely crazy. And then he just quit on new year's day and EJ Manuel tweeted out happy new year. The minute after it came out, the minute after it came out, that Doug Barone was quitting. He tweeted Happy New Year. Uh, that that was my favorite, Doug Marone.
0: Yeah, no, no. And when, when I hear, you know, like, you, you, we've had the talk before when you just got Doug Marone, I'm like, that's the same Doug Marone as isn't because I, I just I can't imagine Doug Marone <laughs> being rah rah, you, you know, just the guy I saw in Jacksonville. And I remember, uh, Ke- you know, uh, Cassius Marsh uh, did an interview. After, you know, he was with Jacksonville for, you know, maybe, you know, eight games uh, in 2020 in Maroons last year. And uh, he did an interview with, I think, I don't think it was with Pat McAfee, but it was with the former player and he was talking about. Uh, you know, a coach at my last stop. You know, obviously Jacksonville. He was talking about how this was the most boring coach uh, I've I've ever played for. He he couldn't motivate anybody. He made us all fall asleep when he tried to motivate us. And then he goes, "Well, this guy was a former offensive lineman." So I'm like, "You can just say it was Doug Marone, dude." Like we we'd all get it. And Marone definitely in his time, you know, it seemed like Jacksonville really aged him, you know, cause I mean, he went through, you know, uh, obviously that, you know, 2017 was, you know, a fantastic season, but after that it was, you know, uh, 2018 was full of injuries. You know, the quarterback ended up turning back into a pumpkin. He had to fire a close, uh, a close, you know, friend and, and confidant and uh, Nate Hackett, you know, something that I, I still believe he didn't want to do, but, you know, kind of felt like he had to do. And then 2019, you had the Tom Coughlin drama, the Jalen Ramsey drama, the Yannick Ngakwe drama, and then 2020, you lose 15 straight games. By the end of it, you know, he looked like a guy who had, you know, just come home for more, you know. Like he, he, he he just looked exasperated by the end of it. So I I, I, I do think Marone, in a way, benefited from his time in because it almost kind of rehabbed his image to the point where people were like, wow, I feel bad for, you know, Doug Marone, that he has to deal with all this. But I think in different circumstances, it probably wouldn't be like that at all.
1: Yeah, he was uh, really, I've, you could say fiery, but I think that he treated players like a college coach would because he had come from yeah. Syracuse, and uh, that just didn't go very well. Like at one point in training camp, like imagine this happening. You've covered training camps, so you're out there and just watch, you know, standing around or whatever, and the coach and a player are screaming at each other, the head coach, which you would just rarely see. And, and uh, Jerry Hughes screamed at Doug Marone about something, and Marone says you know, you don't have to be here or something. And it was like, uh, Jerry Hughes has a contract. So he does have to be here. Like that is actually how it works in the NFL. And then shortly after that, the bills signed Hughes to a huge contract extension and he's been a great player for them. like, yeah, that's not how that works. Like not in college where you could just cut a guy because you feel like it. And uh, there was another time where uh, I was, I was comparing, Marone on the radio to Mark Jackson in a golden state where I said, you know, I think the guy's probably a decent coach, but everybody can't stand him. And he was listening. And uh, so then we got a very interesting phone call into the station from the, uh, what was he at the time? The president of the team who then ended up leaving under some very um, not so great circumstances for an affair within the organization. So what a time it was <laughs> back then. All right. Give me, give me your top one or two Urban Meyer stories that that aren't uh, the ones that everyone's heard about being in the bar with the uh, coeds or whatever? <laughs> well,
0: I, I, I think one of the big ones would be, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, you know, in March leading up to free agency, uh, you know, there were, you know, a, a lot of, you know, talk and speculation of Urban Meyer thought free agents would sign with Jacksonville for, you know, maybe lowball contracts because he was Urban Meyer. You know, like he he literally had this idea that okay, you know I was'm you know, I'm a legendary college coach. guys will take less money to play in Jacksonville. Because of me. And that was a genuine thought that he had and that he expressed, uh, you know, to the rest of the organization that, you know, people are going to want to flock to Jacksonville, you know, to play for me. They'll they'll take less money. We don't have to, you know, pay guys, you know, offer guys as much money. And then you look up and, oh, they whiff on Matthew Judon. They whiff on Hunter Henry. They whiff on Johnny Smith. Turns out in the NFL, these guys don't give a damn (laughs) if you're Urban Meyer. You know, specifically if you're Urban Meyer. They, they just want to be paid so i i think that was one of the big things the guy just straight up did not understand the nature of professional football you know he didn't he didn't understand that you know yeah you know these guys you know they they do love football but they're not they're not under your thumb completely, you know, they, they, they have other things in their life, you know, their life isn't football, 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 you know, they have football, but you know, they also have their contracts, you know, they have their families, they have interests outside of football, you know, for a lot of, for a lot of guys, you know, the NFL is a job, you know, like it, it's just, it, just something I think Meyer never understood. And the fact that, you know, he would go around telling people that I'm urban Meyer, people will, you know, take less money to play for me is Still to this day, something that completely baffles me. And it, it, I remember when I heard it in March, that's when I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't going, maybe this isn't going to work, you know. And, you know, of course, they ended up having a free agent class where they either overpaid a ton of role players or, you know, they signed guys like uh, Chris Manhurts and Philip Dorsett, Jaha War, guys who, you know, no disrespect to those guys, but they, they didn't do anything. You know, they, they didn't do anything at all. You know, I mean, the, those are the guys you're going to get when you, your two voices are, one, a guy who doesn't understand how the NFL works, and then, two, a guy like Trent Baalke who is allergic to spending money that isn't his, which is you know, a different conversation for a different day. And then I would say the other one is, this is one that a lot of Jacksonville fans noticed, but he genuinely, when it, when it came to names of players who weren't Trevor Lawrence or, you James Robinson like he he called Adam Gotsis after after they beat the Bills you know their biggest win of his tenure they beat the Bills Adam Gotsis, uh you know one of their he wasn't a starter but he was like the first guy he's the first guy up in their defensive line rotation so you know he plays you know probably close to 50 50 percent of the defensive snaps a game called him he was like yeah it was a great defensive game led by Alex Clancis. and then he just kept going Alex uh, and he was trying to remember. Finally, a media member had to go, Adam Gosses. And he goes, Adam this. <laughs> And I'm like, I, I remember sitting there. I was I was in front of him. Obviously, a few hours back when I was in front of him. He, I remember when he said, Alex, I'm like, that's not an Alex on this entire team. <laughs> he, he would call the Arizona Cardinals the Phoenix Cardinals uh, to the point where he got mocked for it enough that he – Tried to stop himself, and every time he would say Phoenix Cardinals, he go, I, I mean, Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> and he also, uh, before week one, last one before week one, when they were playing the Houston Texans, somebody asked him about, uh, okay, who on the Texans offense stands out to you? And Meyer was a guy who he mostly paid attention to the Jaguars offense. He really didn't do anything with the defense at all. He kind of let them do their thing, which is why the defensive side of the ball had much less drama than the offense. You know, funny how that works, but uh, he was asked about guys on Houston's offense and he mentioned Joe Mixon. And then goes, oh, sorry, I was looking ahead to Cincinnati. They played the Bengals like a month later.
1: <laughs> I'm on to Cincinnati. The yeah, yeah. The, uh, the 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 B side version of I'm yeah. on to Cincinnati.
0: Exactly. Before before the year even starts, it's like, yeah, Joe Mixon's a good back, and then he goes, oh wait, no, he's the Bengals. I was watching the Bengals earlier, and I was like, you were not watching the Bengals at any point.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that is incredible. That that's a, I I mean. The thing about Zimmer is that he would love to open his press conferences by talking about how all the other team's players were good. Just like, well, that this guy's got this and this guy got that. which I never had a problem with. I'm not making fun of yeah. him for it, but he would be like, well, this guy does that. And it was, it was Zimmer's favorite thing to know everything about every single player. And so that's so the opposite. And that's where throughout his entire time, like I would always give him that. He, he's a he's a good football coach you know he was prepared and he knew how to run the team and he knew how to you know game plan and scheme and all those things that are usually at the top of the list and urban meyer sounds like he wasn't even watching tape he was just doing whatever urban meyer does but you know this is this is a key lesson i think for our squads that we cover here john is that you have to watch out for egomaniacs yep and spotting them is not always easy, but spotting Urban Myers and Egomaniac ego was easy. The same with like John Gruden, who I think yeah. is a good football coach, but apparently a racist. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, but but the same thing, like this is an Egomaniac,
0: though. Yeah. And Car- that character w- matters not just for players, you know? right. it matters for your head coach, especially.
1: And so when someone is not necessarily hyping you up the most uh, by their hire, winning the press conference, whatever it is that can be okay. Cause I think humility is a really big part of being a great coach.
0: Yeah, no, I I'm with you hundred percent. And to me, Urban Meyer was the ultimate, you know, used car salesman because, you know, his, his first press conference, you know, with the Jaguars, uh, you know, when he got introduced, you know, he, he was full of energy. He was talking about all the visions he had for Jacksonville, you know, talking about how much homework he did, you know, studying the NFL. And then, before the season even started, you know, it was after they looked bad in the preseason, you know, after, you know, they looked terrible against the uh, Saints in week two of the preseason, you know, he named Trevor Lawrence the starting quarterback by looking at the ground and shuffling his feet. And, you know, he like, he, he looked like you just, you know, kidnapped his dog and was holding it for ransom after losing preseason games. So I I, I I think, you know, when your mentality and your ego is as fragile as that, that that's a big sign and it's just you know in the NFL a lot of times things are going to go wrong more often than not they're going to go wrong and i think you need to have a leader who can weather those storms and you know to to guys we've talked about i think Byron Leftwich is you know one of those kind of leaders you know i i think Colin Moore could be one of those kind of leaders i think Nathaniel Hackett from everything you know I, that's ever been said about Nathaniel Hackett you know you can debate his you know play calling resume but from everything anybody's ever said, you know, this guy's a hell of a leader, you know? And I, so I think that's the more important thing to spot than, you know, kind of sometimes wins and losses, or, you know, maybe play calling experience.
1: You uh, cover the Jaguars. So maybe there isn't a ton of interest from Vikings fans in following you, but I assure you that John is a great follow on Twitter. The only problem is at underscore John at underscore Shipley,
0: Blame, blame the Twin Cities, John Shipley. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to just tweet something so hellacious that he gets banned, and I, can, I can take it from him. I'll, 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 I would do anything for it.
1: Well, he's a great guy. So unfortunately, you're out of I know. luck
0: there. So. I know. <laughs> well,
1: uh, but always fun to get together with you, man. I just like talking ball with you. Uh, so, um, good luck with your coverage of your coaching search. Thanks, and man. I, you, you,
0: you as well, man. Yeah, and I, I. I I hope, you know, especially for you guys sick, you get a coach who is less combative and a little more, uh, you know, media friendly <laughs> with the next time.
1: Or burns to the ground immediately. I That's mean, the, I bet the Urban Meyer clicks were insane. So They,
0: they were, but it, it got to the point where I was like, yeah, there's a new story every day. And, you know, yeah, it's great for business, but I'm just so tired. <laughs> I, was, I, 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 was, I was ready for it to end, man. You know, normally, you know, I'm, I just cover the guys. You know, I don't care if a guy gets fired or not. But I, I, eventually I was like, man, for, for my mental health, I need this. <laughs> and I, I cannot do year two of this. If if he gets a year two, I'm going I'm to go into banking or something. Like that.
1: <laughs> don't blame me for that. Great stuff, John. Great to talk with you again, man. We'll do it again soon.
0: Uh, thanks, man. You too.